0: Hey you guys, so a few days ago on Monday morning, um, the day before when we gather for our small group, I uh, was given the task, first time in probably five years gathering, to actually kind of spearhead and name the direction of the content that we'd be discovering and going into the next morning. And one of the things I loved about Chris Nielsen is um, he always respected my authority as a leader and pastor, and he wrote back to the email that I sent him saying that I would like for us to talk about masculinity with no words, um, but just a short video. (sighs) That's about as weird as it gets right there. I didn't think about that video much when I received it on Monday, but I've been thinking about it a lot since. (sighs) When we got together the next day, we sat around the table and we did end up talking about masculinity we talked about vulnerability. And we talked about the dads that we wanted to be. We talked about the husbands that we were called to be. We talked about a lot that morning. And in the midst of everything that was said, Chris, he told us that, over the years, he had to learn what it looked like to embrace the fullness of life and all of the emotions inside of it. And over the years, he had to learn what it looked like to embrace the permission to weep and to cry and to just let go of any kind of false masculine wall that we build up. and Just let it out. And as our small group was gathering three days later at Jeff's house weeping, and crying and letting it out, we realized in that moment what we didn't realize on Tuesday was that in those moments with Chris around that table, we were being prepared for these moments now where we weren't going to be with him. Our friend asked us on Tuesday morning if we would be the kind of men who had the courage to feel the fullness of life, the beauty and the bruises that come with it the good and the bad, and everything that stands in between. And I was there. I heard him make that ask. Um, But I don't want to say yes to it right now, because like many of you, I'm really sad. I'm going to really miss our friend. I'm going to miss being up here and seeing him in one of the back rows, always excited about what kind of heresy would come out next. And... And I'm hurting for Kathy, and I'm hurting for the kids, and I'm hurting for the many communities that Chris Nielsen touched, because there are many communities that Chris Nielsen touched. To be honest, I don't really want to be here right now. I think everything in me wants to run for the nearest exit. But my friend Chris asked me on Tuesday if we would embrace it all instead. And so that's what we're going to aim to do tonight, uh, with heavy hearts in this holy room with people that Chris loved, and with people who loved Chris. Will you go with me to John chapter 20, 19 through 21. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. We have it on the screen right here. And it reads like this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Let me give you a little context for the content that we're reading right now. In this scene, Jesus is no longer here. He has been killed. And his disciples, the ones who walked with him the longest, the ones who we shared an intimate relationship with, they are crushed. They are devastated. And so they do what we all would do. They try to hide. They try to shut the show down and to lock the doors for fear of the life that lingers outside of them. I've read that text a lot of times, and I've spoken about it in theoretical ways, but it got real in a different way these past few days. When I got home from Wisconsin on Friday morning after being with the Nielsen's out there, and I was able to actually stop my efforts, at least, at being um, pastorally, robotically composed, um, I fell on the floor, and I climbed up the stairs, and I climbed into bed, and I pulled the covers over my head, and I just weeped. And I don't know why I did that. I don't know what was in it for me, but there was something about being buried in the blankets that just made you feel like the badness of the world outside was a little bit further away. Like for a moment, we were safe. And we couldn't be hurt in there. And it worked. I mean, I did it the next day, too. <laughs> I got back in bed. And I weeped. And in the midst of kind of the tossing and the turning in, um, holding out the regrets and unexpressed appreciation, all of those things. I got a text uh, from a friend who was watching the horror that was happening in Pittsburgh at the synagogue. And he asked me, does the table have any plan in place for should a threat, should such danger come our way and get close? Do we have any kind of response of how we communicated anything? Is there anything written down? And there's a lot of wisdom in that text. We ought to think about these things. A lot of questions that need to get answered, but... When I got that text and I was buried in those blankets, I heard the question that he wasn't explicitly asking, but it was the question that put me underneath those blankets in the first place. Is there anything we can do to make sure that we don't have to hurt like this again? Is there anything we can do to push pain far away? Is there anything we can do to not let the darkness get in? And I hated that question because I hated that I already knew the answer. I knew what the disciples would soon find out in this story is that you can double-bolt lock your doors. You can install the newest security system. You can wrap all the blankets around your head. You can wrap all the bubble wrap around your body. But at the end of the day, the pain won't be denied. The wounds won't be denied. Death won't be denied. But life could be. And love could be. And so often in the aftermath of a loss, like the one we are dealing with right now, it is. When I think about Jesus, I think about how Jesus went into the grave because he died. But so many of us go into the graves because we lived and we loved and we lost. And so we locked the doors. Because that kind of pain, we don't want to deal with it twice. Once was far too many times as it is. And so we do this. We lock the doors, not knowing that it means that we'll never get to live again. You see, that is the great lie of fear. It promises to stop death, but it doesn't tell you that it's stopping life at the same time. It tells you that it's going to keep you safe, but it doesn't tell you that it's going to leave you starving. Fear will lead you into a locked room and tell you that you're better off staying inside of that room. But it never tells you what you're missing outside It'll go on and on about all the terrors that are in the dark of the night, but it won't tell you about the touch of a friend over a morning coffee. What we see in the story of the son of love, what we are experiencing right now in our own pain, in our own heaviness, is that it is impossible for us to love and stay protected at the same time. Love rides into Jerusalem. Love climbs Calvary's hill. And it doesn't do so hiding behind a locked door. It doesn't do so with a loaded gun. Love walks in defenseless and determined. Love looks to embrace it all, even if it has every reason to run for the exit. And we see that in this story. In this room where the doors are locked, in this this room where the living has all stopped, the one person who was most alive is the one person who was supposed to be dead. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after we said that, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Those were his people. And in the midst of their pain, and in the midst of their fear, and in the midst of the bleeding that would not stop, in the midst of the lumps in their throats, and the limps in their steps, Jesus comes in not with the bloody head of death in his hands, nor with some pop worship song of triumph. He steps into their pain, and he just says, peace. Which is very different than saying, don't worry about it. There's nothing to be afraid of. Life can't actually hurt you beyond the doors. That's not what he says. He steps into their pain, and he says, have peace. Jesus doesn't come into the room telling them that they have nothing to worry about outside of the room. He doesn't gloat. Pollyannically about the room as if it had suddenly been erased of pain. But he does do something strange. He comes into that room and he, he stretches out his arms and he pulls the robe back from his side. And he shows them where their greatest anxiety became his darkest experience. He shows them what the world did to him shows him the holes in his hands and dried up blood on his body and the gash on his side that is starting to infect. And upon first glance, it does not make a lot of sense because, call me crazy, but my line of logic would say that if Jesus can die and then undie, he could probably mend a wound or two on his way out. He could probably bandage those things up. But it's as if Jesus knew that if he cleaned away all of his own pain, then he would have nothing to offer for theirs and nothing to offer to us. If Jesus is going to show them the way, if Jesus is going to show us the way, then Jesus knew that he must show us his wounds. There is a witness in the wounds, an acknowledgement, an admission of the pain in the world. Jesus lets the scars in his body speak to the fear in theirs and what the world used for harm. Here Jesus uses it for healing. It's not a pill. It's not the facade that everything is fine. Keep on keeping on. Jesus doesn't offer here a solution. He merely offers his solidarity. That's the beauty of God as love. It's a suffering love that steps inside. Jesus wants us to see that there really are two ways where we can move forward in our pain in the place that we are in right now and the things that are moving on inside of us. There are two different ways that we can look at the fear that's bubbling up. We can even understand, either understand fear as meaning forget everything and run or we can look at fear as face everything and rise. Christ chose the ladder, and he changed the world. And Chris Nielsen chose the ladder, and he changed my life. There's, there's a moment I was going to share with, never was planning on sharing with anybody, except for my journal, my wife. Um, it was a moment where I got locked in a room last spring. And um, I know I've talked about this a lot with you guys, but it was during a stretch in a season where um, I was so afraid of the outside world and how the table might fall apart and crash unless I'm perfect and working 170 hours a week. And so I tried to. I tried to go as fast as I could and as hard as I could, and I tried to do it as long as I could, not recognizing that there were people who were paying the price for this madness not recognizing how lonely my wife had become, not recognizing how painful it was that my own kids were surprised when I was there to tuck them in at night. And I remember one morning, Tuesday morning at our Starbucks table, where I told the guys, my guys, um, the mess that I was making. And at the end of our time together, Chris, he said to me, he said, Matt, can I talk to you afterwards? I've never done that before, so I thought I'm in trouble for something here. And he goes, can I talk to you afterwards? And as the boys got up to leave, Chris pulled his chair closer to mine, and with tears in his eyes and a crack in his voice, he stretched out his arms, and he pulled the rope back on his side, and he let me see some of his wounds. He told me about how he knows what it's like to be in the place where I am, what it's like to be going 100 miles an hour and almost feel like you are losing the ones you love the most because you don't know how to get out of that room. He said, I was in that place. And as his tears are flowing, he says, I don't want you to be there too. I don't remember the exact words that he said that morning, but I remember what he said. It's the same thing he said on Tuesday. Tuesday. Life is hard and life is holy. Life is here to show you beauty, but it will leave a bruise along the way as well. Embrace it all, though. Embrace it all and cherish the ones that you love. Don't lose yourself for the next rung on the ladder. I wouldn't have heard what he said that morning if he didn't pull up his sleeves and show me his wounds. That withness in the wounds, that's why we're here tonight, is to be together in our wounds. As our guys were thinking about Chris, and as some of these, you start pulling that thread of old texts and emails, one of the regrets that we started getting hard on ourselves about was that Chris invited us to a lot of things. He's always out doing things. He invited us to a lot of things. And we said no a lot of times. And this invitation, this last invitation that he's given to us, not to cover our wounds, but to live honestly and fully, that's one that we can all say yes to. Amen.